Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.03 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 14th of October, 2020. This is episode 302 of Bitcoin, and it's brought to you by Bazen's Denier, who says, If you are going to be consistent when complaining about Bitcoin's energy costs, I want your next sentence to be an eloquent and passionate condemnation of the hidden poverty and starvation cost of costless monies. Mm. Pretty uh, pretty scathing uh, remain, uh, reminder there of the idiocy that is the energy debate on Bitcoin mining. So just keeping that in mind. All right. Um, announcing, and I, I have just heard about this, so it's not really an announcement. It's an announcement for me. So, oh, well, screw it. Whatever. I found out yesterday that Brandon Quidham uh, has a Bitcoin and biology exploration meetup uh, via Zoom which is a one-hour meetup to hang out and explore Bitcoin through the lens of biology and whatever else comes up. Um, That is, he has a uh, a link, uh, Calendly, calendly calendly.com. I can't, I can never pronounce that shit. Anyway, it seems to be on, uh, let's see, where is it? Tuesdays at three o'clock. I believe it's three o'clock. Yeah, it looks like that. Uh, looks like there's a maximum of eight people total, uh, and then you got to uh, sign up. So go over to uh, his Twitter account. It's at bquitem, B-Q-U-I-T-T-E-M. And if you have a biological bent, um, and a lot of us actually do, there's it's becoming evident that Bitcoiners are starting to bring all their other talents and, and knowledge into the space. Uh, because it all fits, because uh, money is, has this tend or real money has this tendency to fix things. Um, so, anyway, if you have a biological bent and you're a Bitcoiner, you might want to consider going over to at b q u i t t e m on Twitter and hitting up Brandon about uh, getting the link to the Candlely dot uh, com site so that he can get or so that you can sign up for any of these things. Sadly. It is exactly at like the worst time ever for me during the week right now. <laughs> it's at three o'clock. I, I believe it's at three o'clock. Uh, yeah, let's see, three o'clock p.m. for me, and that's exactly when I need to start thinking about going and picking up my kids. So yeah, I can't be there for right now. Hopefully that'll change, and I can drop in there because my uh, background is cell and molecular biology and uh, <clears throat> research and physiology and some other interesting things like genetic library sequencing. Yeah. I'm a total nerd, man. Ari Paul has a interesting non nerd thread. It has nothing to do with science or genetics. It does have everything to do with the second amendment of which I'm a huge proponent. 
Yesterday, around 4.30, he decided to drop this little nugget. The right to encryption is the new Second Amendment. Uh, Second Amendment was intended to enable citizenry to protect themselves from dictatorship. Today, guns are both harder to police with 3D printing and arguably less effective. In my opinion, encryption of money and information is the new battleground. The arguments against both rights are the same. Criminals will abuse these rights and create harm in the past. Without the Second Amendment, there was little to stop a despot from consolidating power. I think encryption is an even more powerful defensive weapon today. Encryption enables those resisting dictatorship to fight with information and money. With 3D printing today, information and money can be effortlessly converted into weaponry, not to mention influence, education, and other forms of soft power. The last one in the thread is this. We currently live in a world of mostly free encryption. Yes, it's sometimes abused by criminals to do heinous things. We're being told that law enforcement or even the tax collectors need to eliminate encryption for our safety. Encryption is the modern backstop of liberty. Okay, with the Earn It Act, and there's another more insidious act on the floor of the United States uh, Congress that's being discussed about allowing backdoors into encryption, which of course automatically breaks encryption. There's no such thing as a safe way. I, I reported a little bit, I, I read a story about it a little bit yesterday. There's no safe way at all under any circumstances that somebody that's holding your private keys or a copy of your private, well, actually, there's no such thing as a copy of your private keys. Somebody's holding your private keys. You have a set of your private keys, but if somebody else has a set of your private keys, then they have your private keys, okay? It's not like something where you can give them permission. They can just break your encryption. So whatever language that these assholes decide to start using to tell you that it's okay, it's for the fucking children, yeah, don't believe them. Don't trust them. And hopefully, very soon, we can just let them die because I'm just tired of these assholes running around screwing humanity at every single stage of the game. All right, we're, we're entering into a renaissance. And these people are the abs- This These people are like, okay, look, guys, I know I'm about to say something that's going to piss a lot of people off. I am a Christian. I do go to church. Well, not right now because everything's freaking locked down, but whatever. Um, but at the time of the Renaissance, the Roman Catholic Church had a stranglehold on humanity. Right? Nobody, I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous. And it wasn't until the time of the printing press when it came around. The, there's, there's no, it's no wonder that the first thing that was cranked out on, on uh, the printing press was the Gutenberg Bible. Because not only was it a Bible, which only the very wealthy could afford for themselves, and mostly it was Bibles were only in the church. So you went to church to learn the Word of God from somebody who wanted to tell you what their version of the Word of God was. You weren't allowed to read it for yourself, okay? That's why the printing press was such an important invention. And it wasn't just the printing press. It was the choice of the first publication being the Bible, okay? This kicked the whole freaking thing off because now even peasants could kind could get to the point where they could afford a Bible well, well within their lifetime, well within a year. From what I from what I understand, from what I've read, it would not take that long for a very much of the peasantry and certainly what would be considered the middle class at the time to be able to obtain the Bible and read the word of God for themselves because not only was it a Bible 
it was printed in the language of the commoner. It wasn't printed in Latin. It was printed in the common word. So those two things pissed the Roman Catholic Church off to no frickin' end because it literally ended their monopoly on power overnight. There's no way that we can not remember that when it comes to what we're going through now with encryption, the Second Amendment, the Earned Act. It's just power-hungry idiots who have no business being in power in the first fucking place, being in power and not allowing us to be able to be humans. Because after the Bible was printed in the common language, so much other material was then printed in commoner language. And then all of a sudden, what do you get? You get the Renaissance is is sort of what, what you end up with. It wasn't just the printing press. There were several other things that were, were going on at the time. But when we look at what was it that really kicked shit off, it was the printing press. It really was. So protect your encryption, protect your right to encrypt, protect your right to arm yourselves and defend yourself and your family and your property. Right? Don't let that shit go. Right? I don't care what, any, what names anybody calls you. Don't let it go. All right, so that's going to do it for the community news. Well, if you were living under a rock yesterday, then you did not see the fact that Stone Ridge reveals a $115 million Bitcoin investment as part of a billion dollar spinoff. <coughs> Forbes. Uh, Staffer Michael D. Castillo is writing this one sometime yesterday, early morning. Uh, Three years ago, the founders of the $10 billion Stone Ridge Asset Management had a problem. Several of the advisory firm's founders and senior employees were buying Bitcoin at such a rate, it became obvious the purchases needed to be looked at more closely by the firm's auditors. As word got out that Stone Ridge's staff were personally investing in Bitcoin at such a scale, the firm's clients increasingly wanted to express the same thesis. As, as Stone Ridge co-founder Robert Gutman, or is it Gutman? Yeah, Gutman put it, the thesis is a belief in the long-term growth of an open-source monetary system in assets like Bitcoin. The problem was that Stone Ridge needed a way to turn the dollars they wanted to invest into Bitcoin to safely store that cryptocurrency once they had it. And since they were personally invested in Bitcoin, they needed to do it all that. They needed to do all that in a way that not only satisfied their clients, auditors, and regulators, but themselves as well. So instead of just establishing a few custom funds for their clients as they are wont to do, Stone Ridge took the extraordinary step of building execution and custody tools from scratch and kicking off an entirely new line of revenue, executing cryptocurrency purchases, and then holding on to the assets for their customers. By 2017, that vision had evolved into the New York Digital Investment Group, or the NYDIG, NYDIG, <clears throat> the first Stone Ridge subsidiary that isn't wholly owned by the parent company. That year, the firm quietly raised $50 million in a previously unannounced investment and set about building a spinoff that served the new breed of institutional investors increasingly seeking their services. Last Friday, that work went to the next level when NYDIG raised another $50 million of growth equity fundraising led by FinTech Collective with Bessemer Ventures and Ribbit Capital. Ribbit Capital? Is that like the rabbit hole? Whatever. 
um, bringing the total raise to $100 million. As part of the announcement, Stone Ridge Holdings revealed that NYDIG is acting as custodian of 10,000 of the parent company's Bitcoin valued at $115 million at today's price. Behind the sudden burst of activity is none other than the COVID-19 pandemic. <laughs> the enemy of my enemy is my friend here, man. As business mo- businesses around the world closed up shop in as part of quarantine or sought help from their government, central banks tried to offset the drop in activity by injecting billions of dollars into their economies. While unemployment increased, markets stayed surprisingly stable, resulting in a sense of impending collapse, says Gutman. Speaking in his first interview since taking or taking over as co-founder and CEO of NYDIG, quote, we've seen a pretty dramatic acceleration in the count of institutional investors who want to participate in the market since March of this year, he says. Quote, the macro backdrop against the public health backdrop has caused a lot of people to rethink their portfolio composition, end quote, you think? Based in New York, NYDIG spent the $50 million it raised in 2017 to build out the execution and custody services they would need to manage a raft of custom Bitcoin funds and to acquire two cryptocurrency-specific licenses. The first license, oh God, a bit license from the state of New York, is used by the NYDIG execution subsidiary to convert dollars into cryptocurrency and back again. Another subsidiary, NYDIG Trust, has a New York State limited purpose trust charter allowing them to buy and hold Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies for investors. Few NYDIG customer, uh, customers are public yet, though a representative of the customer of the company said Stone Ridge's $115 million position, position is not the largest it manages. Keep that shit in mind. That's important, by the way. Let's read it again. Few NYDIG customers are public yet. Okay, we don't know who their customers are. We know how, who some of them are, not all of them, and not many of them. But a representative of the company said Stone Ridge's $115 million position is not the largest it manages. That means they got a customer that's got more Bitcoin than they have. That's what it sounds like to me. And if that's the case, holy shit, man. Continuing on, last month, Ripple chairman uh, Chris Larson revealed he'd moved one of his XRP wallets to NYDIG custody. Currently, the majority of NYDIG's revenue comes from banks, registered investment advisors to ultra high net worth individuals and institutional allocators. These products are built on a single platform that integrates execution, custody, any money laundering, and know your customer protection. Specifically, uh, where was I? Oh, specifically, NYDIG builds custom funds, separately managed accounts for middle-income investors and other services for ultra-high-net-worth individuals. Quote, different institutional allocators are used to buying used to buying fund management services, so that's what we sell them, says Gutman. Macro hedge funds are used, used to buying prime brokerage services, so that's what we sell them. RIAs are used to buying a set of ultra-high-net-worth advisory solutions, and that's what we sell them. The two largest funds currently managed by NYDIG are the $190 million Institutional Bitcoin Fund LP, disclosed in regulatory documents in June, and the $140 million Bitcoin Yield Enhancement Fund, disclosed in May. Among what Gutman calls several smaller funds is the NYDIG Basket Fund, totaling $2.4 million, including Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP, Litecoin, and God, Bcash. 
While NYDIG isn't sharing its total assets under management, the firm now acts as custodian of more than $1 billion. That's billion with a B. It, <laughs> and the number of its clients has quadrupled in the past 10 months. Oh my. So there you go. That's not the, that's not the whole Forbes article, but that's what, honestly, that's going to, that's going to get you through it. Okay. So NYDIG got reveals that it's got $115 million of Bitcoin. Now I saw something where somebody said that they bought all their Bitcoin yesterday at a hundred or 11,500. I, I doubt that. Um, you're not going to have a single buy. <clears throat> I mean, maybe they did. I don't know. Maybe they did, but I that just does not seem the way that that these people operate. Right? It seems like they just start they they're buying on the down low. They're not doing market orders, so they don't want to telegraph exactly what it is that they're doing. So they're going to go to OTC markets. They're going to buy it there, so that everything is all hush hush except for something that I said I reported on yesterday. Okay, well, I'm not reporting on it. I'm reading people who are reporting on it so that you can drive to work and not die. Right? You can just listen to me read the news. That's why I do this. All right, so the whole thing is, is that it looks like some people are figuring out how to look at wallets on chain analysis uh, software suites and figure out who the OTC desks are and then be able to gauge whether or not there's OTC activity before anybody else actually knows, which would be, I don't know if that would be, honestly, I don't know if that would be dangerous or not. I mean, but what it would do is turn an OTC desk into an open market um, uh, signal. That's all, that's what it would seem like it would do to me. I honestly think it would probably spike volatility if we were able to definitively say, oh shit, this OTC desk just bought at a lower price a whole bunch a whole bunch of BTC or sold a whole bunch of BTC at you know some X price something like that. Just keep it in mind that these people are for whatever reason humans are data hounds. I don't know why, but we're fascinated with data patterns. So it seems you know it it seems like what's going on here is that even if you know it's wrong, it's the wrong thing to do you're probably going to just want to scavenge data and figure out how to see the patterns in the data. It seems to be what, what humans are built for. I don't know, but uh, that's not the only big news as far as Bitcoin and investment houses are concerned because Fidelity Digital Assets apparently explains why trillions of dollars could move into Bitcoin in the coming years. So this is Kyle Torpy. And he's right. Uh, this is actually out of the cryptofeed.net, but it was posted sometime yesterday. Says earlier today, Fidelity Digital Assets released the second report in their series on the investment thesis behind Bitcoin. The report explores Bitcoin's potential fit as an alternative, uncorrelated asset in a diversified portfolio. Quote The rationale of certain Bitcoin holders for allocating to Bitcoin is similar to their rationale for allocating to alternative investments, notably portfolio diversification and return enhancement, reads the report. Quote, additionally, the interest in Bitcoin and other non-yield generating alternative investments could also increase in response to the Federal Reserve and many other central banks cutting their benchmark interest rate to zero or below zero this year. In a world where benchmark interest rates globally are nearer, 
at or below zero, the opportunity cost of not allocating to Bitcoin is higher, end quote. The report provides seven rationales for allocating some portion of an investor's portfolio to Bitcoin as an alternative investment. Uh, let's see here. So according to Fidelity Assets, a key selling point of Bitcoin as an alternative asset is the diversification it can provide to a portfolio. While there have been notable short-term trends where Bitcoin has been highly correlated to the traditional stock market, gold, and other notable asset classes, the long-term trend is that Bitcoin is highly uncorrelated. Quote, Bitcoin's correlation to other assets from January 2015 to September of 2020 is an average of 0.11, indicating that there is almost no relationship between the returns of Bitcoin and other assets, notes the report. The report goes on to contend that this lack of correlation with traditional markets is driven by four other key rationales for the Bitcoin investment thesis. Differing return and risk factors, evolving narratives, greater overlap between market participants, and the fact that Bitcoin is a retail-driven phenomenon. That last one seems like it's the most important to me, but let's, let's continue. With the backdrop of Bitcoin as an uncorrelated asset that could have value in a sufficiently diversified portfolio, the new report from Fidelity Digital Asset notes that the potential exists for trillions of dollars of new money to come into the Bitcoin market. The report notes Bitcoin is a drop in a bucket compared to markets it could potentially disrupt in the coming years. For example, the report mentions Bitcoin's current market cap is just under $200 billion. By comparison, Fidelity Digital Assets cites the CAIA, what? CAIA Association's estimate of the alternative investment market of $13.4 trillion in 2018. According to the report, 10% of that money moved into Bitcoin would equate to roughly a $1.3 million market size increase for the world's largest crypto asset. The report from Fidelity Digital Assets also notes that the size of the alternative asset market could increase in the coming months due to a potential decline in the attractiveness of holding bonds. <laughs> I've seen bonds. They are not attractive already, okay? That's just... Geez. I'm waiting for a bond uh, for a bond auction to fail. That's that's what I'm waiting for. I'm I'm waiting for the United States Treasury to do a bond auction and nobody comes to the party. Yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. According to billionaire investor and former Facebook executive Chama, who recently told CNBC's Squawk Box that holding Bitcoin helps him sleep at night, Bitcoin can make sense as a partial replacement for funds that were previously allocated to bonds. I'm never going to be able to pronounce that Chamath's last name. Sorry, Chamath. It's nothing nothing personal, buddy. Bridgewater Associates founder Ray Dalio is another billionaire investor who recently shared his own warning about the potential serious trouble in the market government-issued bonds. While the Fidelity Digital Asset Report admits that it's possible Bitcoin could become more correlated to, to traditional assets as more institutional investors enter the market or the Bitcoin investment narrative becomes centralized around a single use case, it also adds that the cryptocurrency is currently positioned to ignore a lot of the economic uncertainty that could continue to play global markets in the coming years. Quote, Bitcoin is fundamentally less exposed to the prolonged economic headwinds that other assets will likely face in the next months and years, combined with its multifaceted narratives and an interesting effect of persisting retail and growing institutional sentiment, it could be a potentially useful and uncorrelated addition to an investor's portfolio toolkit. As pointed out by Decrypt.com, 
Fidelity Digital Assets also suggests that investors should consider a 5% allocation to Bitcoin in their portfolios. Let me read that one again. Fidelity Digital Assets suggests that investors should consider a 5% allocation to Bitcoin in their portfolios. This is Fidelity Digital Assets. This is not Bob's Backyard Investment Group. This is Fidelity. I have no idea how much shit they've got under management, but it's in the trillions. It's one of the largest asset management companies in the world. Okay, they, When they make reports, they don't do it because they're just trying to make people happy. This is, this is literally the, the, the culmination of their research to date. And what they're saying is that 1% to 2% is not enough Bitcoin in your portfolio that you're going to really need somewhere around five. Now, can you imagine all of the ultra high net worth individuals in the world taking, taking this advice all at once? Yeah. Let that sink in. Okay. Here we go. Now that's the good news. Here's the, we're starting to some, some bad news here. BTC Times, Nick Chong is writing this this morning. Lawyer says, regulators are waging a war on Bitcoin privacy and custody. A war is coming, people. How strong do you want to fight? I mean, if, you're just gonna, if we're just going to roll over and let them do what they always do, then prison awaits. And I'm not talking about actual, well, I am talking about actual prison, just not the shiny bars and them, you know, hand, you know, you know, them putting you in an orange jumpsuit. I'm talking about the kind of prison that you don't know it's a prison, but it's a damn prison. And what you end up doing all day long is polishing your chain with government mandated chain polish, i.e. scaring you to death that you didn't work long enough for some asshole to uh, get your retirement in order. Retirement for what? So that you can wait to die? Honestly, if I hear one more fucking person bitch and moan about their fucking retirement account, I'm going to pull my hair out. We have been programmed to not actually live. We've been programmed to wait for death. I hate to be that freaking negative, people, but this is why this is why we end up eating fast food. This is why we end up spending all our time in front of a television set. Not everybody, clearly, but I, I, the great guts and feathers of people are just, in my opinion, doing all the things that if you step back from it just a few feet, you'll go, what are you waiting for? Why are you just sitting there? Why aren't you doing something? Well, I'm doing something. I'm going to work. I'm being a good little surgeon so I can pad my retirement account so that you can do what? Travel? I mean, I like, you know, travel's good. I'm not saying anything bad against travel. I'm just saying there's a lot of people right now that are like, they're not worried about the retirement and they're traveling all over the world doing shit. They're actually living the life. They're not waiting to live it like 10 years before they die. 20 years before they die. My grandmother worked all the way up until she was 90 years old as a secretary for a cleaners association. 90. I mean, my God. Ugh, hurts. So, as we read this, be aware prisons many times are not actual physical prisons. 
If you have any doubt about what a prison that doesn't that isn't a physical prison looks like, you need to read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and understand that Dr. Frankenstein was chained to the monster that he created and there was never a time never a time in that entire book that he was trapped by walls, bars, chains or anything physical and yet he was just as much in a prison as any prisoner could ever be. Okay, so keep that shit in mind. Recent weeks have seen a lot of movement surrounding regulatory developments for cryptocurrencies and the deployments of such from reports of an upcoming bill in Spain, a full regulatory cryptocurrency framework released by the United States Department of Justice, a crypto derivatives ban in the UK, and serious enforcement actions against Bitcoin derivatives platform BitMEX. According to an analysis by lawyer Jake Chernevsky, was it Chervinsky? Yeah, Chervinsky. The timing for the developments is not coincidental. In a 20-part Twitter thread, he confirmed that based on statements and regulatory trends, it is clear a war is being waged over self-custody and privacy. Infringing on self-custody and privacy. At current. The process of self-custing cryptocurrencies with fiat is actually rather simple. Users can sign up for an exchange, deposit funds, purchase Bitcoin, then withdraw it to a personal wallet. Once the funds are in a user's non-custodial wallet, they can do with them as they please. But as Shervinsky explains, this is changing. Traditional anti-money laundering frameworks break down when Bitcoin is involved, he explained, referring to Bitcoin's nature as a bearer asset that can be transacted without an intermediary. Quote, there, with no intermediary to deputize, Governments are less able to detect transactions, identify counterparties, determine sources of funds, conduct censorship and seizure, etc. This is both this is true for both paper cash and electronic cash. End quote. In the past, it seemed most sorry, regulators were fine with regulating on and off ramps, but as cryptocurrencies are growing in their own enclosed economy, Chervinsky noted regulators are beginning to try and implement AML rules more vigorously while also attacking privacy more aggressively. This much was made abundantly clear when the United States Department of Justice, together with representatives of six other nations, recently published an open letter urging technology companies to work with the government to introduce back doors to services using end-to-end encryption. In regards to cryptocurrencies in particular, the DOJ released a framework highlighting how Bitcoin's pseudonymity, pseudonymity, sorry, pseudonymity and privacy-enhancing technologies in the space can perpetuate crime. Oh, think of the children. The cryptocurrency-focused lawyer feels that these moves, coupled with reports released by Europol, the Financial Action Task Force, that seem to target uh, privacy-enhancing technologies such as Bitcoin mixers, are the beginning of the end of legal self-custody and digital asset privacy. Quote, I fear we're heading for a world where withdrawing crypto from exchanges to self-custody is restricted as a means of attacking privacy. We, we'd have two separate crypto markets, one of clean custodial coins and another of dirty, self-sovereign ones with no bridge in between, end quote. As morbid as this may sound, what he fears has begun, has begun to come to pass. Reuters reported, Yesterday, or October the 13th, that Spain's Minister of Finance is pushing for legislation that would require all cryptocurrency holders in the country to identify themselves and their holdings to the government. Should it pass, this would be mandatory, not optional. Good luck with that. The recent uh, actions by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, the United States Department of Justice, and the FATF, amongst 
Many other regulatory bodies clearly represent the harshest stance regulators have ever taken towards cryptocurrencies. This raises the question of why there has been such a reversal or at least such a rapid uptick in regulatory action. Chervinsky points to two trends. Bitcoin gaining geopolitical significance and the parabolic explosion in the growth of fiat-backed stablecoins. Although Bitcoin isn't actively discussed in Congress, for instance, it has seen a strong uptick in adoption and attention amid the pandemic. Namely, a number of large corporations and institutional investors uh, have begun investing heavily in the space as a narrative has developed surrounding Bitcoin's ability to hedge against risks of the fiat system. The project has garnered attention from firms like Fidelity Investments and Microsoft, while investors like Paul Tudor Jones have allocated capital to Bitcoin. Stablecoins in particular have seen a rapid uptick in adoption. Coin metrics data indicate that the value of all U.S. dollar stablecoins in circulation recently passed $20 billion after starting <coughs> 2020 closer to $7 billion. Reasons for this growth include a dollar United, or sorry, a United States dollar liquidity crisis, growth in so-called decentralized finance, and the ease in e-commerce enabled by stablecoins. Regulatory agencies acting so severely after such growth in Bitcoin and stablecoins suggest there are serious concerns that sooner or later fiat systems may lose dominance over Bitcoin. Regulatory trends lend to Shervinsky's fear that self-custodying Bitcoin may become illegal in the future. Again, good luck with that. Not all hope is lost, however. He explains if industry representatives successfully convince policymakers why it's a terrible idea to act against withdrawals to non-custodial wallets, such a worst-case scenario does not have to be the outcome. Cryptocurrency advocacy group Coin Center, for instance, released a famous paper in 2019 outlining why electronic cash technologies like Bitcoin should be fostered and celebrated, not feared by regulators. What has become apparent is that cryptocurrencies are taking a seat at the table when it comes to financial regulation and whether open conversation is initiated between the tech industry and regulators, we may need to prepare for more legal frameworks to be released in the foreseeable future. Okay, so a war is coming. It is going to come. It's going to come to our doorstep. How we react is going to be everything. I mean, if we just if we just fold up like a cheap suit, then we're going to remain in prison because a prison is exactly where we are. We're, we're just, we just don't realize that what we're doing is polishing our own chains. That's the only thing that's going on here. That's the only difference between us and being in a supermax. Because we're here, buddy. If you don't understand that, I don't have time to explain it to you. I really don't. But I will say this. Two things are the most important here. One, a circular Bitcoin economy needs to develop at one point or another. And sooner rather than later. We're... I do work and I get paid in Bitcoin directly to my wallet, either through BTC pay server, or I send you some kind of weird, you know, like this is where, honestly, this is where nodes are, are going to play, uh, uh, play a role, especially if we do the messaging system that is on the table for the next release of Bitcoin core, uh, being able to send you a one-time address to send me money and not even, I mean, I love BTC pay server. What I fear is that they're going to, that BTC pay server would be targeted. Like if I were to have BTC pay server driving a store on my website, that the department of justice and CIA and the FBI would shut my website down because it's illegal to have any, you know, anything like that. And it's not going to stop me. I'm done with these people and you need to be done with these people too. Unless you just want to sit around and polish chains all day, you need to be done with these people. The second thing, people like MicroStrategy, 
and Jack from Square and to the real Tahinis, uh, Snappa HQ, all these companies, big and small, buying Bitcoin, putting it on their balance sheet, and then telling the government that they have it on their balance sheet. Because the more and more, oh, and by the way, I guess uh, the Fidelity report we need to put in there, and then the uh, the hundred fifteen million dollar buy uh, or uh, holding by NYDIG. The more the companies do this, the more, and I hate to say it, but the more legal teeth our side ends up actually having because none of these people are, they are just not going to sit still and pick up the phone and have the department, the, like the attorney general say, sorry guys, your $115 million that you hold in Bitcoin is now legal and you're going to have to turn it over to us. If you think that the person on the other end of the phone from any of these companies is going to go, is just going to say, okay, boss, then you don't get it. And I'm sorry that you don't get it. But for right now, we need to stop this and run the numbers. Before I run the numbers, I needed to make sure that I did a huge shout out to at not Grubles or Grubles. It's at not Grubles on Twitter. That's at N-O-T-G-R-U-B-L-E-S for his putting together of the website coin.pizza, <clears throat> which as he explains is a tidy page with all Bitcoin news sources in one place without being bombarded with advertisements and altcoin shilling open to suggestions for new feeds to add. And it's a slick, nice looking interface that's just got columns. Like a, there's a column from the news story headlines from the BTC Times. You click on a headline, it takes you to BTC Times. For that, there's one for Bitcoin Magazine. There's one for Coindesk. Uh, there's a Bitcoin Tech Talk. There's a top scoring links from Reddit concerning Bitcoin. It's slick, man. So it's coin.pizza. I don't know why the pizza, except for pizza day. I, you know, I mean, pizza is important to the, to the memeology of, of Bitcoin, but um, it doesn't matter because it's slick. Again, that's coin.pizza. Please go visit the page and let not Grubles know what you think about it because he put this thing together and it's, it's, it's definitely worth it. It, it's, I, I used it today to help set up the show I wasn't able to use all of it to set up the show, but or set up the show using nothing but this, because I have some news sources that are outside of what Grubles is putting on, but that's why Grubles is asking for suggestions. So I will be suggesting stuff like maybe Crypto Potato, even though that they do some shit coinery. But, you know, it, hey, it is what it is. We're never going to get rid of shit coinery. And right now, especially with the regulatory framework that's being put in place, we're going to need these guys uh, to be the sacrificial lamb and the ablative armor that they are and always have been for Bitcoin. I want them taking the full force of the armament of the United States and world governments before they turn their sights on Bitcoin so that they waste all their ammo and all their energy so that by the time they get to us, they're a little, little bit more tuckered out. Energy futures are all down. Oil is down a quarter. The uh, Brent North Sea is down 0.14. Natural gas took a massive slide, 6.7% to the down. Whoa, bro. $2.6 is what you're going to have to spend now on 1,000 cubic feet of the stinky stuff. 
Gold is up by half a point. Silver is up 0.8. Platinum is meh. Copper meh. Palladium, however, if you're a big palladium buyer, is up 1.14%. Looks like gold's opening price is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $1,904. Let's see. Index futures. We are saved? No, we're just meh. Dow futures up 0.07. S&P is down 0.06. NASDAQ futures up 0.2. And S&P mini is to the downside 3 tenths. Real money, we've got Bitcoin at 11409 I got a high at BitAsset at 400, 400, good God, 11427 My low is at HitBTC at 11405 319,000 transactions have been performed in the last 24 hours. Uh, that is about 13,325 transactions on average per hour. That's 2.2 million BTC being sent around the horn in the last 24 hours. Average sent per hour is about 100,000 BTC, and the average transaction value is somewhere in the neighborhood of 7 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.045 BTC. That's about 516 bucks. Block times are seriously low. We are below nine minutes to eight minutes and 44 seconds. 0.42 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and damn near 70 BTC have been taken in fees in the last 24 hours. We've had a, oh yeah, we're at an all-time high here. 7.28% upside uh, change in hash rate. We are now sitting at 155 exahashes per second. If I'm not terribly mistaken, that probably signals that at one point uh, during the past 24 hours, we hit a new all-time high in hash rate. Ethereum is at 380, Bcash at 252, Litecoin at 50, BSV at one, whatever. Ethereum Classic at $5.44, Dogecoin at 0.0026. With 41,365 transactions over the last 24 hours, it walks all over Ethereum Classic and Bcash, and yet Litecoin still somehow is north of 60,000. It's chilling out at 89,615 transactions in the last 24 hours. Still don't know why. Clark, Moody, Bitcoin. Clark's looking at a price of 11,396. That means for every dollar that you melt into Bitcoin is going to get net you uh, 8,775 Satoshis. We have in Lightning Network 1,069 BTC. That's $12.2 million of liquidity spread across 7,506 nodes, representing 36,595 channels. Tor capacity is ticked up a little bit, 49.9%. That is 534.3 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network. And that means that there, well, not means, but there are 2,471. Oh, good God. Yeah, 2,471 nodes, Lightning nodes on the Tor side of the Lightning Network. That's going to do it for Vitals. Uh, you've heard of a dick measuring contest. We now have a turd measuring contest. Let's find out how out of Joshua Mapperson. He's writing this for Cointelegraph sometime very early this morning. DeFi Pulse 
unveils safety ratings to allow users to compare risk. I'm serious, man. This is like measuring turds in a toilet, okay? I, they're all shit. Decentralized finance analytics platform DeFi Pulse has launched new safety ratings in Alpha to enable users to compare risks of on-chain protocols. However, the rating system is still in development and does not factor in all risks, such as smart contract risks. In partnership with digital asset modeling platform Gauntlet, the grading tool looks at key factors including user behavior, collateral volatility, relative collateral, liquidity, protocol parameters, and smart contract risk. Each project is then given a risk profile, ranking them between 1 and 100. So here's the score. Over 90 means very safe. The chance of loss to depositors is extremely small. However, this also means that capital efficiency can be approved. 80 to 90 score gives you safe. The chance of loss to depositors is very small. 65 to 80, there's a small chance of depositor loss in extreme market conditions. 50 to 65, there's a high chance of depositor loss in extreme market conditions. Less than 50, there is a substantial chance of depositor loss in normal market conditions. Decentralized lending protocols, Aave and Compound are the first projects to be reviewed in the new economic safety grade scheme, receiving scores of 95% and 91% respectively. MakerDAO is the next protocol scheduled to receive assessment. DeFi poll stated in this initial alpha, these grades are formed by analyzing the historical liquidity and volatility data to find the collateral most likely to cause issues. <laughs> the team added that findings must be normalized before a rank can be given. The assessment tool does not aim to model smart contract risk, Gauntlet noted, asserting that auditors and formal verification tools are best suited for assessing this form of risk. Gauntlet highlighted that its safety assessment metric is still in the early stages, emphasizing that there are many potential risks associated with lending protocols not currently incorporated within its scoring system. Quote, an astute observer might have noticed we omit the case where the protocol is illiquid. We hope to model this as well as a few other things as we build towards a beta release, end quote. For now, Gauntlet's system seeks to determine the chance of insolvency and audited on-chain lending protocols. Earlier this year, severe price volatility resulted in DeFi platform a maker suffering from a mass liquidation event where $8.32 million disappeared in one day that was later called Black Thursday. Gauntlet hopes its tool can help prevent future Black Thursday-like crises within the crypto sector. The growing popularity of DeFi has seen a corresponding increase in risk. It has been given rise to an increasing number of fake tokens and scam last week. Liquidity mining pool DeFi project YFDXDEXF of YFDEXF.finance completed an exit scam, taking $20 million in locked funds with it. Earlier this month, Uniswap's rival SushiSwap caused a stir after the protocol's founder, Chief Nomi's sudden departure. The new safety ratings tool won't necessarily address all these issues, but it's a welcome start. No, it's not. It's not welcome at all. And you know why? Because this entire, this is, all this is, is ICO 2.0. This, I, this is the same crap that we saw in 2017, 2018, and we're still seeing it. I mean, there was literally an ICO that, that uh, got funded like last week. I don't even remember the name of it, but it was like $50 million. This shit's still going on. So whatever, man, just. 
All right, now now here here's one to to facepalm with PayPal to introduce a twelve pound per year fee for quote inactive accounts. Act now to dodge it. Uh, oh God, MoneySavingExpert.com's Naomi Schreyer has this uh, news story. She wrote it on October the 13th. PayPal is set to introduce an annual fee of up to 12 pounds. That's the British pound, by the way, for users who whose accounts have been inactive for a year or more. But you can avoid the charge by logging into your account before the deadline in December from 16 of December 2020. PayPal users will be charged the fee if their accounts have been inactive for at least 12 consecutive months. PayPal defines inactive as an account where the user hasn't sent, received, or withdrawn money or logged into their account. If your account has been inactive for over 12 months, the fee you're charged will be the lesser of 12 pounds of your entire PayPal balance. If you don't have any money in your PayPal account or your balance is negative, PayPal says you won't be charged a fee even if you have a debit or credit card linked to the account. You can avoid being charged by logging into your PayPal account or making a transaction on or before 15th of December 2020 before the fee is introduced on the 16th of December 2020. So, okay. What is, telegraphs to me that PayPal is just, is like literally dying. I mean, if you're, if you're flourishing as a business with this revenue model where you're, your rev, this revenue model is, is thus, they take fees for your transactions. That's the only way this shit survives. Uh, and, and, you know, I guess if PayPal were to sponsor a company and give better rates to their customers, that that company would be paying up, you know, so there's sort of like some kind of graft or something going on. But for the most part, the majority of PayPal's revenue comes from fees coming from transactions sent from user accounts. When somebody says, you know what, we need, we have so much money that we're going to, we're going to charge a fee. That's normally not kind of what happens in my opinion. It is just my opinion, but generally speaking, when things are going well, you don't look for ways to screw your customers. Not really. I mean, not, not, not like this anyway. It's when your revenues are down that you look for ways to screw your customers. I think PayPal is hurting. Honestly, that's what that, that whole thing just screams that PayPal is in trouble. So we'll have to watch that. Russia blocks P2P crypto exchange local Bitcoins. Guess Putin wants them all to himself. Jose Antonio Lanz is writing for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. Antonio Lanz says, Russia is one of the world's most important Bitcoin markets, but its government seems willing to block block, Bit, bleh, block blockchain transactions. Roskomnadzor, Russia's telecommunications services regulator, has blocked access to local Bitcoin's portal in the country, which is a major source of traffic to the peer-to-peer exchange. <coughs> when trying to access localbitcoins.net, a mirror of the .com site focused on serving customers in the country, traders find themselves with a blank page after being censored by the regulator to access the portal. Russian users must use a VPN that masks their actual location. So far, Russian traders seem to have remained quite active on local Bitcoins and customer ads on the site have not stopped. This could indicate the traders were already prepared for or used to this type of censorship, which they should have been. Local Bitcoins was previously blocked by Roskomnadzor, 
four years ago. Moreover, last month, Binance announced it too was blocked. However, the site is no longer in the government's blacklist database. Database And Russia has telegraphed its intentions earlier this summer, declaring restrictions on access to the local Bitcoin's portal on July the 21st, 2020, based on the justification that the site could be disseminating illegal information to the public. That coincided with an overhaul to Russia's cryptocurrency laws. Though it remains illegal to own Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in Russia, they're now illegal to use for payment. Despite the government's complicated relationship with Bitcoin, Russians love crypto. The country accounts for almost 20% of local Bitcoin's total operations and ranks first in terms of cryptocurrency trading on the P2P markets. Local Bitcoins has not issued any official statement. Uh, Decrypt has requested additional information and will update if any news is received. So there you go, Russia. Uh, doing the thing that the United States desperately wants to do. And again, that war is coming and it's not going to be just us. And, you know, this is why, you know, make friends with as many people in as many different countries as you possibly can. I don't know why that seems really important right now. I mean, well, I know why it is. It's just I don't have a, a very well articulated explanation as to why. But you're going to want to get your hooks into the peoples of other countries sooner rather than later. It will be important. Just take my word for it. We have now have we now have vegetables on Bitcoin, just not in the way you think. Sats earning platform Carrot wants to reward the world in Bitcoin. Brandon Green. This is actually all the way back from October the sixth. But hey, you know I didn't didn't catch it back then, so we might as well figure it out. This is a uh, written for Bitcoin Magazine of its many potential applications. Bitcoin as a medium for rewarding micro-tasks is one of its most exciting. This implementation takes advantage of the technology's natively digital qualities, its relative freedom from borders, and its high divisibility. Now, with its public beta phase announced today, the SATS-earning platform Carrot wants to realize this potential on a new scale. Carrot is a platform designed for people to earn Bitcoin rewards for supporting the projects and brands that they love. Creators can list tasks that their supporters are likely undertaking anyway and offer BTC bounties for their completion, all seamlessly paid via the Lightning Network. With this beta announcement, Carrot has opened up its wait list for more creators to join the platform and post tasks. The Carrot team expects all sorts of creators, from podcasters to businesses to open source projects and everything in between, to use the platform to begin rewarding their audiences or communities for bringing value to their respective ecosystems. Simultaneously, it's sorry. It's simultaneously a platform that gives these creators an efficient and effective way of rewarding their supporters directly, while also creating a critical new avenue for getting the world's best form of money into the hands of the more people worldwide. Quote: We believe that every person has something unique they can offer the world, and that there is an unlimited pool of potential, energy, value creation, social good that is untapped today," said Tyler Evans, CTO of Carrot. Quote, Carrot is our small contribution toward creating an, an equality of opportunity worldwide. Our mission is to spread hyper-Bitcoinization by letting the next billion people earn their first Bitcoin. So let's, oh, sorry, there's a whole other part here. Various earning platforms have already been established in Bitcoin short history. Most famously, Earn.com made a pivot to become an earnings platform before it was acquired by Coinbase for $100 million. But... While products like Coinbase Earn offer rewards in various cryptocurrencies, Carrot is one of the first apps to exclusively leverage not only Bitcoin, but the Lightning Network. 
During the alpha stage of development, an initial batch of pilot partners began experimenting with various types of bounties and rewards that could be used on the Carrot platform. For instance, Bitcoin Magazine chose to fund five new $500 grants toward contributions to the Bitcoin Core software on the Carrot platform, as decided by project maintainers. Carrot's alpha program saw an initial batch of pilot partners distribute about 70 million sats to nearly 2,500 global users across thousands of Lightning invoices. The average withdrawal amount from the platform has been $2.50, with some users taking out as little as 16 sats, demonstrating the promise of micropayments live in production to a borderless audience. That's important. The Carrot team noted that hundreds of its alpha stage users are based in Africa. Now that the project is soliciting additional creators and preparing to offer more rewards to more users, it could become one of the most powerful avenues for rewarding value creation around the world. Quote, right now we're trying to balance both growing our user base with scaling our product and team, said Evans. Our hope is that by the end of the year, we could be the largest lightning app in the world and let millions of people earn their first Bitcoin. Interesting. You'll have to keep that up and just go look at that a little bit later. Uh, Shara Malwa is writing this one for Decrypt.co. Crypto exchange builds Bitcoin wallet with fingerprint recognition. That sounds really bad. Let's find out. Crypto exchange gate.io has launched its hardware wallet, the Wallet S1, to strengthen the safety, security, and storage of its users' private keys. The firm said in a release shared with Decrypt. Based in Hong Kong, gate.io facilitates over $63 million daily on its crypto listings and aims to further its security practices for clients with new hardware wallet offerings. Per the release, the Wallet S1 is a private key safekeeping solution for customer funds featuring an inbuilt display with fingerprint recognition. This creates a unique password for each holder as no individuals share the same fingerprints. Instead of the need to memorize complicated passwords, which can theoretically be brute forced, <clears throat> quote, the private key is locked in the hardware itself, safely away from the internet, and it makes it more convenient in signature signing when the user makes a daily use transfer, end quote. Marie Tatibois, CMO of Gate.io, said in a statement, she added, quote, it is the first hardware wallet in the world leading fingerprint recognition algorithm, which can auto-initialize when detecting a brute force attack, end quote. Gate.io claims that Wallet S1 supports Oh, God, more than 10,000 cryptocurrencies, including major assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum, among other shitcoins. Although they didn't say shitcoins, but I do. Although there aren't many or there aren't even that many listed on CoinMarketCap. Yeah, this is already bullshit. Meanwhile, the exchange noted the rollout as part of a broader plan to build out GateChain, Gate.io's own blockchain network. It just gets worse. So use cases. In this regard, are the eventual support for Wallet S1 in Gatechain's vault address and to interact seamlessly with any DeFi apps operating on the network. Oh my God, the attack surface is so immense here. The wallet launch comes as a growth in the crypto market as the crypto market has surged in recent months, specifically in the DeFi space, which went from an obscure industry from earlier this year to attract over $11 billion spread across various apps today. This is a terrible idea. First of all, it uses your fingerprint. Second of all, 10,000 cryptocurrencies. Uh, and, and now <coughs> having it be able to not only do all the shit coins, but now get into DeFi and the freaking rabbit farming and whatever. No, I, I no man. This is, this is bad news. 
this is this is something that uh, could possibly potentially be completely meme worthy as an extension to the boating tragic boating accident meme where not only did I lose my hardware wallet in said tragic boating accident, but I also lost all of my fingers, and that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes here with yet another dad joke. Hmm. Excuse me. Fun fact. Australia's biggest export is boomerangs. It's also their biggest import. Uh huh. <laughs> Telling you, man. Dad says jokes. If you're not following that one, it's at Dad says jokes on Twitter. Uh, it it is good for it's good for a lot of yuck yucks. So I've, that's why I've got it in my Twitter feed, or my rather my Bitcoin list feed. That's the only Twitter feed that I look at. I I look at my Bitcoin list. I don't actually look at at my generic Twitter feed because it's just too full of bullshit. Um, so I made sure that I keep certain things like, you know, architecture, uh, uh, Twitter accounts, uh, joke, Twitter accounts. I've got a couple of ones that, that shows me a picture of puppies every once in a while, because seriously, y'all such some salty bastards that without peppering it with beauty and cuteness and some humor, I would be one sad, sad boy telling you, man. All right. Uh, that is going to do it for me. Uh, yeah. Hey, look, look, 61 minutes. Bitching, dude. Go ahead and, and stop while I'm ahead, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.